Welcome to Hear Women Tell. This is Chris Hillenberg, your host. Hear Women Tell is where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. And today we have with us Mary Hamilton. Mary lives in Frankfort, Kentucky. Uh, looking down at the list of awards and recognitions that you've received, Mary, it looks to me like you get one just about every year. <laughs> that would be so wonderful. <laughs> And and I've been pretty lucky in recent years, yes, that they do seem to be coming along at about that pace. (laughs) All right, the Jesse Stewart Award and the Kentucky from the uh, Kentucky School of uh, Media uh, Storytelling World Award. Yeah, that's with school librarians all around the state. Oh, okay. So that was quite wonderful that they would honor my storytelling in Kentucky schools with one of their awards. Oh yeah, and then you've got uh, Storytelling World Award Honor Stories and Pre-Adolescent Listeners. Uh, that was in 2003, 2004, the Artist Enrichment Grant uh, from the Kentucky Foundation for Women, uh, 2005, the Professional Assistance Award um, from the Kentucky Arts Council. Uh, it just goes on and on. Recently, you had the, um, in 2009, the Circle of Excellent Oracle Award. You must have been very happy about that. I was thrilled. Yes. I did not know I had been nominated. I did not know it was in the works until um, Carol Birch called me to tell me I had won. Wow. And, and that's thought, from the National wow. Storytelling Network, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. You have to be nominated by your peers, and and people have to send in letters of recommendation about your work, uh, telling the committee, you know, what you've done over the years and why they think you're deserving. Wow. And... It was such a treat for me to read what people had written about me because Carrie Sue Aviar from Florida, who nominated me, she had saved all the the whole package that she had put together to make the nomination that included the recommendation letters. And mm. she sent them to me so I could read them. And that basically says to 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 your peers, you're a master storyteller. Is that right? Yes, and and that you've been involved in storytelling for a significant amount of time, mm-hmm. yes. that you're a, a right. model for how it ought to be. Right. And then, it, and then this year, you had the Storytelling World Honor Award in the Storytelling Recording category. Yes, for and, an, a late, my last recording. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also, I see here, 2010 Appalachian Sound Archives Fellowship. Yes, Berea College is here in Kentucky in a town called Berea, and in the special collections at the the library on campus there, there is a Southern Appalachian Archives, and as part of that archives, there is a sound archive, and I just happened to see one day an announcement about this Sound Archives Fellowship, and I knew they had the sound recordings from a folklorist named Leonard Roberts, who recorded many um, Appalachian folk tales. And so I applied, and I I got it. So I got paid to spend a month listening to over 300 of the stories that Leonard Roberts had recorded. And now, Leonard and, Roberts, tell me a little bit about Leonard Roberts. Well, I wish I knew more about him. I, I need to know a great deal more. Um, he died a number of years ago. I never met him, but all the people who did meet him think very highly of him. And he published uh, several books. Um, Sang Branch Settlers is a book that he published about a family by the last name of Couch. 
and talked about their folkways as well as reporting on all the um reported the lyrics and some of the tunes of the ballads that they sang, as well as writing down many of the stories, transcribing the stories that they told. He also did a book called Old Greasy Beard, Tales from the Cumberland Gap, hmm. um, a book called South from Hell for Sarton, and Hell for Sarton is a, is a place in Kentucky, and those are the stories that he collected um, as he was working on his dissertation, those are the stories that ended up in his dissertation and in that story collection. And there were, you know, many other stories that had never made it into print hmm. that were also available for the listening in the sound archives, as well as many of his papers. So um, he taught both in high school and in, at the college level, and taught folklore classes. And so there are also many stories there in the archives that were collected by his students, mm. some of those on sound recording, some um, in, you know, in type, typed manuscript pages. There are 72 boxes. Mm. Uh, and what will, you be, what will you be doing with this material? Telling much of it. Mm. Well, not much of it. My goal was to find stories that I thought would work well for today's audiences. Mm-hmm. And so I, I listened to over over 300 stories told. And, you know, some of these were maybe eight and nine different versions of the same story. And sometimes even more versions than that. So it was a treat mm. to hear so many different people tell the same story. Right. But my goal was to find some stories that... I want to add to my repertoire, and I'm pretty sure that at least eight to ten stories will end up being added to my repertoire as a result. Oh, that's great. So how did you become a storyteller? Well, there are kind of two answers to that. One is that as a little kid, I would get into trouble for exaggerating. (laughs) So... Perhaps I was a bit always a storyteller. I grew up with people who tell stories, but they don't tell the folk tales and the fairy tales that I've always loved. They tell stories about us, particularly stories about when somebody sort of did something silly or misunderstood something, Mm -hmm. messed up in some way. That seems to be the main family story. And that gets told, but I also read and read and read and read. And and as I said, I was a childhood exaggerator. I would start telling somebody something, and I would edge over, exaggerate just a little bit, and inevitably they would look at me, and their eyes would light up, and they'd say, really? And instead <laughs> of me saying, no, I made that part up, I'd just say, yeah, I'm just going. <laughs> They got me in trouble. Uh, I know on your website there's a story about you, you, you're you in class and you're telling a story about uh, spinning the weekend horseback riding. Yes, but I didn't even own a horse. <laughs> and I, I remember I told them about how I went down to the barn and couldn't find the saddle and so I rode bareback. And I can remember standing in front of my class and, and using my hands to show them how I started slipping off the rear end of the horse. Mm. But I told them I wasn't worried. I just grabbed the long hairs and my horse's tail, and I climbed back on, and I inched my way up. And and I can remember using my hands to show them how tightly I clenched the hair in my horse's mane. 
And I told them, and that's so I finished my ride, and that's what I did this weekend. And, you know, my third grade classmates thought it was a pretty good story. My teacher was not real impressed, but <laughs> my classmates were very impressed. Oh, that's funny. I remember when I when I did my first um, at Three Apple Storytelling Festival in uh, Harvard, Mass., I did the new storyteller, Olio, mm-hmm. and uh, they asked me for you know, a blurb to go into the program. And I, my, what I said was uh, when, when Christy's mother heard that she had become a storyteller, she said, I thought I broke her of that. I thought I broke her of that. So you uh, know well, how that is. Oh, I do. <laughs> I do. You know, and I'm in, talk about horses. I mean, I, I what young girl doesn't love horses I mean you know I remember sitting on the bus looking out the window and pretending that I was running along I was riding a horse outside the bus window as we went down the road you Uh know jump fences and running fields and you know so that uh, story about the uh, horseback riding the bareback horseback riding really brought a lot of memories back to me well I grew up on a farm Mm -hmm. and people just assume that farm kids have a horse but my daddy said horses ate money. Mm, yeah. And by the time, you know, I was growing up, horses were considered money eaters instead of money makers. Mm. You know, when he was a child, horses were, were still doing a great deal of the work. They were right. essential right. for farm work. And, of course, when my grandparents were children, that was it, horses. And mules. Right, exactly. Uh, what what aspect of storytelling most fascinates you, Mary? I love two things. I I love the the audience interaction that it's so direct and and straight to the audience, so that the audience reaction can influence timing. It can influence the wording. It, it can have so much influence on what happens in the telling of the story. Mm. So I love that. And then I also am just fascinated with process. The what happens between idea and told story for the um, the retelling of, of family stories. Mm-hmm. The, oh, this might make a good told story. And then the actual telling of the story before audiences and also the what happens between identifying that a particular folktale or fairy tale is one that this a particular teller is drawn to tell and then the actual telling to audiences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i just i just find that pro, that in between process to just be fascinating it, oh, it absolutely different forms mm-hmm you know, sometimes it's research, sometimes it's a lot of time spent in the imagination, a lot of daydreaming, um, a lot of night dreaming, mm-hmm. going to sleep with, hmm, not sure how to handle this part of the story, what might be a way of of making it clear that, you know, three people are having a really important conversation. How can I make that clear for listeners? And going to bed and waking up and first thing having an idea about, yeah, that could work. Right. It's amazing how <laughs> the mind works. It out. Yeah. yeah, just 
I, I just love that process. I, I think that's fascinating. Oh, that's great. Well, we're, let's take a little break right now. Uh, this is Chris Hillenberg with Hear Women Tell. Uh, today we're interviewing Mary Hamilton uh, to get the story behind the story. So we'll be right back. This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of RacersReunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravelle Resort. The Caravelle Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club. And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravelle's Studio Spa. Featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies. The Caravelle Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravelle.com. 800-507-9145. When you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, home of Zeus Broadcast Network and Hear Women Talk, there's a wonderful adventure that you should try. Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. Go to www.carolinasafari.com and check out Carolina Safari. Mention Hear Women Talk and get a discount from Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. See another side of Myrtle Beach. Get wild with wildlife. Explore history, nature, and mystery on a Carolina Safari Jeep Tour. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back to Hear Women Tell. This is Chris Hillenberg, your host, where we interview professional storytellers and get the story behind the story. And today we're talking to Mary Hamilton from Frankfort, Kentucky. Uh, uh, you know, Mary, I grew up in uh, southern Indiana in Bedford, and uh, my father used to tell uh, briar jokes. Huh. <laughs> and he, they I'm were... not familiar with those. And those were... Kentuckian jokes. He would tell Kentuckian jokes. Oh, so the Kentuckians <laughs> were the Briars? Yeah, yeah. And uh-huh. of course, you know, where I grew up was Kentuckiana. Uh-huh. A lot of people don't know that there's Kentuckiana and Iliana and Michiana. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. And I love Kentucky. What a beautiful state it is. Well, I grew up in Meade County, and I don't know how far that is from Bedford, but I know that my parents' house was um, covered in Bedford limestone. Right, right, yeah. As many houses around the area were. It's always my understanding that limestone came from your hometown area, uh, Bedford, yeah. Indiana. As a matter of fact, when we were kids, uh, we used to swim in the stone quarries. I remember swimming in the uh-huh. stone quarry that the Empire State Building came out of. It's a famous area. <laughs> it is, and I, and I would think I would think to myself, wow, this is a big hole for, and it must be a huge building. You know, I had never seen it. You know, I'd never been out of the, out of the state when I was a little kid, so it, it was pretty amazing. Um, I know that you have been instrumental in a lot of different storytelling organizations. Uh, you've 
uh, found in two storytelling groups, uh, Tale Talk and the Frankfurt Area Storyteller Gathering, and that you were also a founding board member of the Kentucky Storytelling Association. What it, how, how important is it to for a storyteller to belong to a storytelling organization? Well, I think that storytelling needs um, advocates. That the art form needs advocates, and that by working with others, we can have more effective advocacy. I am still an active member with the Kentucky Storytelling Association. I don't serve on board right now, but um, I am still an active member. I still volunteer, um, serve on committees. Uh, we structured our board so that after you were on the board for a certain number of years, you had to get off for three years because you know, people burn out and it's important um, to avoid something that's called founder syndrome. Mm -hmm. When the founders step away, there's no one to take their place. And I think organizations can also be a way of helping create new leaders in storytelling and helping mentor others in storytelling. Mm -hmm. So... I care deeply about Kentucky Storytelling Association. It's definitely brought storytellers all over Kentucky closer together. We have more conversations now. We know each other now. And we're in a better position to support each other and recommend each other. Mm. And I have friends all over the country that I would not have if I didn't belong to the National Storytelling Network and attend the National Storytelling Conference regularly and participate on um, committees, serve on committees with National Storytelling Network. And it's, a, it's an organization that can do a lot to support storytelling. Mm. Um, I'm currently working on a committee called Art Force, and what we've been charged with is to to encourage a change in the arts discipline list that's used by state arts agencies and the National Endowment for the Arts to collect information about arts activities, to encourage a change in that discipline list so that storytelling will be on that list as both a fine art and a folk art. Mm -hmm. And initiating that kind of change is something that... Um, is more effective when it's coming from a group than coming from single individuals. Right, right, right. Kind of the, it's, so it's kind of the business end of it. Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking as far as um, being able to, um, like you said, as a group to move forward and to advance storytelling. With the, with the group voice, that it lends more power to the goals of individuals. Mm -hmm. But if the individuals don't support the groups and, and help the groups have a voice, then the groups can't be effective. Right. So I think it's essential that storytellers and storytelling advocates uh, participate in um, National Storytelling Network, in, in regional storytelling uh, organizations, you know, like Lanes and mm -hmm. Northlands, and in various um, state organizations when, when they're available, and then help start one if they're not. Right, which right. Which is what we did here in Kentucky. We didn't have a Kentucky Storytelling Association. It's, it's relatively new, but it's thriving. It's doing well. Oh, that's great. Um, now, you do a one-woman show called Children of Richard, Rhoda, and God. Is yes. that right? 
Yes. I'm uh-huh. guessing that's family stories. Is that right? Um, actually, it's it's true. It's it's a it's a show that has three characters. Um, one character is me now telling the story of of the things that happened that helped me understand the events of long ago. The other two characters are me at seventeen and a boyfriend I had at seventeen, and it's the story of our dating relationship, and it's a Catholic Baptist story. <laughs> tale of Catholic Baptist dating in in rural Kentucky and mm-hmm. during the 1969-70 school year, mm. and it ends up touching on a whole lot of issues dealing with communication, how difficult it can sometimes be to communicate clearly, how people can use the exact same words, words like um, prayer and baptism and have an entirely different idea of what it means. Mm. Um, but, but you think you're communicating because the vocabulary is the same, but the underlying meaning is different. Yeah. And by the, end of the, by the end of the piece, the audience who have seen these two young people go from the gee, you know, I think I think I'll ask her out even if she is a Catholic, and oh, I hope he asks me out. Stage through their relationship to having um, broken up, you you see the whole course of their relationship, and then um, at the very end of the piece, you also learn, as the older Mary does, that. These two young people are also descended from the same people who mm-hmm. moved, the same couple who left Kentucky, left Virginia and moved to Kentucky. Hmm. And, you know, in less than 169 years, they had gone from family, from being us to being them. Mm-hmm. And so it, sounds, it sounds like a great show. Yeah, that just doesn't, you know, how do, how do we turn others? How do we, how do we turn people into other? How do we, how do we make them? out of people who had once been considered us. Right, right. Now you do and storytelling. It's got a lot of humor too. Oh good. I have a lot of humor. Now you do storytelling workshops, um, and you also facilitate uh, a weekend, a storytelling weekend. When we come back, we're gonna talk about that. This is um, this is Chris Hillenberg with Hear Women Tell, and uh, we're interviewing Mary Hamilton today uh, to find out the story behind the story. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. This is Dottie Laster, the host of Trafficked, an hour-long discussion about human trafficking in the United States. Join me as we meet guests from around the world and locally who are combating the fastest-growing crime in the world. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk Radio. Hi, this is John Banks with the Zeus Radio Network and Hear Women Talk. Come join me on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. with Bringing Man Out of the Cave. We're going to try to take an interesting look at the male-female dynamic as I try to give you answers 
as to why men do what they do. Come join me on Mondays. Attention boppers, shaggers, and swingers. Join us at the J.B. Floyd Community Center in North Myrtle Beach Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for the fast-paced excitement of the Swing Syndicate. Study the swing styles of Jitterbug, Double Time, Lindy, West Coast, East Coast, and Show. Sure to be a big hit on the Grand Strand. That's the Swing Syndicate Wednesdays, 7 o'clock at the J.B. Floyd Community Center in North Myrtle Beach, 1030 Possum Trot Road, Wednesdays, 7 o'clock. Police Psychics, Find Me, with Kelly Snyder and Valerie Graham. This fascinating program explores how vetted psychic sleuths team up with law enforcement to find success, show how this can bring awareness, hope, and closure to families. Also presented are important possibilities which psychic assistance offers for law enforcement, especially at the beginning of an investigation. Host Kelly Snyder is a retired federal agent with 25 years in law enforcement. He's an author and the founder of Find Me, a non profit organization of talented worldwide psychic crime solvers, canine search and rescue volunteers, and others who provide leads in missing person and homicide cases. Find Me's work creates a raised awareness of how psychic abilities can add a tool to a detective's arsenal. Snyder is teamed with co-host Valerie Graham, an author and former sheriff staffer in correctional psychiatry. Join them Tuesdays, 2 p.m. at hearwomentalk.com, H-E-R-E, womentalk.com. This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. Welcome back to Hear Women Tell. This is Chris Hellenberg. I'm your host. Um, where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. And today, we're having a conversation with Mary Hamilton. Uh, Mary, your workshop, you actually refer to yourself as a story teacher. Is that right? Yes, I I teach the art of storytelling quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, you had something on your website that really interested me. You were talking about the artistic response process. Right. And you've mentioned it several times. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Well, it's um, a process that Cynthia Changaris and I developed, but not out of whole cloth. It is developed on the story coaching processes developed by Doug Littman and a critical response process developed by Liz Lehrman. Mm. Um, Doug Littman is a, a well-known storyteller, and he's written a wonderful book called um, The Storytelling Coach, in which he goes into great detail about his process for working with people. Uh, Liz Lehrman is a modern dancer, and she developed her resp- her critical response process in in response to to a similar situation. I think Doug and Liz both realized that people wanted help on their artistic work and that sometimes what people think they want is for the the coach or the responder to tell them what to do mm. when what's really going to move the artist along is a response process that that helps the artist achieve their goals mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Cynthia, Cynthia Changaris and I developed WOW Weekends, working mm. on our work storytelling weekends, and we use that um, artistic response process as a way of 
of facilitating the goal, the moving toward the goal for the individual person who whose work is being responded to in a given term, for lack of a better word. Okay, so when you say so when you say their goals, what kind of goals are you talking about? Well, um, maybe someone is working on a story, and maybe what they, well, okay. I have taken, I took Children of Richard Rhoda and God mm-hmm. to um, WOW Weekends repeatedly. And I, I wanted to see how the audience reacted, but um, I also wanted feedback. I wanted to find out if the if the characters were really clear mm-hmm. because there are times when I'm moving quickly back and forth between the different characters who are telling the same story but telling it from different points of view. So I knew that could be really confusing to an audience. So I, I wanted that feedback to find out, am I making this clear for you? And if it's not clear for you, do you have any ideas about what would have helped to have made it clear for you? Right. So do you see how that's getting feedback to help me further my goal right right so the, so the working on our work weekend basically is kind of uh, it, it's a critique in a way of, of where you're at and, and you can get glean from that if you if it's going the direction you want it to go yes yes and 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 get get um, feedback and information on how it affected the listeners you have in front of you that you can then use to help you figure out what you might need to change and right. and you can get some suggestions from them as well uh-huh. on possibilities for what you might change to make things clear. Right. That sounds like um, a great weekend. It works really well. A- another piece I worked on there is a story that I call Cinderella's All. Mm. And or I ca- actually that's what I started calling it. It became 11 Cinderella's. <laughs> <laughs> became the name of it. And in that story, what I'm doing is I'm telling the Cinderella plot one t- through one time, but over the course of telling it, I stop off at 11 different cultures. Oh. Because Cinderella, the story is told all over the world. Right. And so it was sort of a challenge, you know, can I piece together a coherent retelling of the Cinderella story that will make sense for listeners and yet include details from um, a variety of different cultures and and help and help listeners be able to follow it right right so uh, that they can just sink in and enjoy the listening and yet still have this bit of a cultural glimpse of 11 different cultures right and so it, it took a while of, of working on that to mm. figure out how to make it clear and how to make the transitions and um, which segments would work best where. So it really helped to be Mm. able to put that work out in front of listeners and get their feedback. Right. Oh, that's great. Who aren't paying you. Yeah, right, exactly. We get feedback from the audience who are paying us as well, but there's a lot of work that they deserve to have us have already done. Right, right. Speaking of work, I would would love, uh, do you have a story you can tell us? Um, sure. Okay. Go right ahead. Um, all right. Um, this is one of the stories that's um, in the Berea archives. This one's not in the Leonard Roberts collection, but it's in the uh, Nora Morgan Lewis collection. Uh, Nora Morgan Lewis was a woman who told stories to her children, to her nieces and nephews, and 
as she got older, she got a little worried that her children didn't seem like they were going to be retelling her stories. And so, fortunately for me, she wrote them down. Okay. And a few years ago, um, her adult children gave those stories that she wrote down to the Southern Appalachian Archives and also were kind enough to give me permission to tell whatever I might want from those that she wrote down. So here's one of um, the stories that... Nora Morgan Lewis tell, and this is how it told, and this is how I retell it. Um, one winter, when the snow lay deep and, and it was bitter cold, um, there was a woman by the name of Flannel Mouth, and that's what everybody called her. They said she was she was ornery, difficult to get along with, and Flannel Mouth that winter was earning her living as she always did. She was weaving. And back in her day, if you were a skilled enough weaver, which she was, um, you could support yourself, and she also supported her small child. She would do weaving in exchange for anything else that she needed. Well, on this particular cold winter day, Flannel Mouth was sitting in her loom weaving, and she was so busy weaving that she didn't notice when the fire in her fireplace started to die down. And she was so busy weaving, she didn't even notice when it went out entirely. But her little child, well, her little child noticed. And the child began to whimper, and the child started to cry. And Flannel Mouth looked over at her child, and she said, hush up. But that child couldn't hush. The child was cold. The child kept crying, and she kept weaving, and she looked over again, and she said, I told you to hush up. But that child could not hush. The child cried and cried, and finally Flannel Mouth could stand the sound no more. So she, she got up from her loom. She walked over. She picked up her little child. She smacked her child. She shook her child. She smacked that child. She killed her child. Mm. And then she took her child's body outside. She shoved it into a snowdrift, and then she went back inside, and she kept right on weaving. But that evening, when Flannel Mouth went to bed, the moment her head touched the pillow, she heard the sound of the child crying. Night after night, every time she tried to sleep, she would hear the sound of the child crying. And so she said to herself, this house is haunted. I've just got to move away from here. Now, there was a woman who lived a good distance away that Flannel Mouth had done a lot of weaving for. So one day, Flannel Mouth went to see that woman, and she talked with her. And she said, no, my house does not suit me anymore, and I was thinking maybe I could come down here and, and live with you and, and in exchange for a roof over my head and food to eat, and I, I would do all your weaving, and I would take additional weaving for anything else I needed. And that woman said, well, Flannel, that would be good, but what about your child? Where's your child? And Flannel Mouth thought, and she said, well, um, my child... You know, there, there was a woman who came through not long ago, and she she was the saddest woman I ever met. And when I asked why she was so sad, why it turned out she was sad because she didn't have any children. Well, I had never met anybody who was so sad over not having a child. So uh, I gave her my child and, and made me feel real good to be able to make somebody seem so happy. Well, the woman thought it was strange, but... She agreed that Flannel Mouth could move in, and so 
um, flannel mouth went home, and, and the lady she was going to move in with, she sent her husband up with a wagon. They loaded up flannel mouth stuff, brought her on down, and got her set up. But even in that house, when flannel mouth went to bed at night, the moment her head hit the pillow, she could hear the sound of a child crying. Well, flannel mouth was having a real hard time. She wasn't getting very much sleep. And one day, she was so tired that right in the middle of the day, she walked over to her bed and she laid down, and that was when she discovered. She slept in the daytime. She didn't hear a child crying. So that's what she started doing. She would sleep all day, and she would light torches, and she would weave all night, and sleep all day, and weave all night, sleep all day, weave all night. Well, things were working well for Flannel Mouth, but they were not going well for the family she was living with. <laughs> and the woman of that house came to her one day and said, Flannel Mouth, this is not working. You have got to, to work when we work and sleep when we sleep. You're sleeping during the day, and I'm having to keep my children extra quiet. Children are not supposed to be quiet. They're supposed to play. That's how they learn things. You have got to work when we work and sleep when we sleep. And Flannel Mouth said, that wasn't our deal. You didn't say anything about when I'd work and when I'd sleep. And the lady thought about that, and she said, well, all right. We have a, a little cabin that's up the hill a piece behind the house. It, it's just big enough for your loom and, and, and a small bed and maybe a little table and a chair, not much bigger than that. And, and well, it's got, it's got windows. They're kind of high up, but you're going to be sleeping during the day. You wouldn't mind that you don't have a lot of light. And, and there's this little porch and door, just, you know, just a little one-room place. And, well, we could move you up there, and, and then it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter when you sleep and when you work. Flannelmouth said that sounded good, and so they moved her up to that little cabin. And Flannelmouth liked living there. Why well, she just she just wove all night, and she'd sleep all day, and didn't disturb anybody. Was getting her work done. And one night, when Flannelmouth was sitting at her loom weaving, the door of that little cabin opened all by itself, and Flannelmouth looked over toward the door, and in walked two big hairy legs. Flannel Mouth looked over there, and she said, well, who are you, and what do you want? She heard a voice that said, oh, I'm just two big hairy legs. And she watched, and two little child legs walked in and stood in that doorway right beside those two big hairy legs. And she said, well, who are you, and what do you want? And a voice said, it's cold in the snow. It's been so cold in the snow. Flannelmouth didn't say anything, and then a big hairy body came in, and, and big old long hairy arms with with sharp fingernails crawled up those big old hairy legs, and that big old hairy body set itself right on top of those big old hairy legs. And Flannelmouth said, "Who are you, and what do you want?" And the boy said, "Well, I'm just a big hairy body sitting atop two big hairy legs." And a little child's body came in, and little child hands crawled up those little child legs and set that little child body right atop those little child legs. And Blanima said, who are you and what do you want? The boy said, it's cold in the snow. I've been so cold in the snow. Blanimouth watched, and a big old hairy head rolled in. And that big old hairy body leaned down and 
picked up that big old hairy head, set it on top of those two big hairy shoulders, and that hairy head had fiery looking red eyes, and Flannel Mouth was so scared she couldn't even say anything. And she watched, and a little child's head rolled in. And that little child body picked up that little child head, set it up on top of those little child's shoulders. And Flannel said, Who are you and what do you want? And the little child's voice said, I'm so cold in the snow, Mama. It's been so cold in the snow. And Flannel Mouth was so scared she couldn't say a word. And that big old hairy creature raised one hairy arm and pointed one of those long, sharp nails toward Flannel Mouth and said, Woman, I have come to deliver your punishment. And again the child said, It's cold in the snow, Mama. I've been so cold in the snow. Well, Flannel Mouth sat there. She was scared. And she thought to herself, I am just seeing things. That's all this is. I just must be tired. I must be working too hard. I am just seeing things. It's just my mind playing tricks on me. There's nothing up there in that doorway. All I have to do is get up from this loom, run right out of this cabin, just get on outside, get some fresh air. I'm just seeing things. And she got up from her loom, and she ran toward that doorway. And when she did... That big old hairy creature just wrapped those hairy arms around her, dug those sharp nails into her back, pulled her close, turned and walked off that porch down the steps and walked away from that little cabin. And everywhere that hairy creature stepped, the snow melted all the way down to the ground and smoke rose from the footprints. And as that hairy creature walked away with flannel mouth, a voice could be heard calling after him. I'm not cold anymore, Mama. I'm not cold anymore. Oh, that's a great scary story. Isn't it a wonderful tale? I love that. Maria, why don't you tell folks how they can get in touch with you? Well, they can go to my website, um, www.maryhamilton.info. They can call me, 502-223-4523. That's 502-223-4523. Or they can email me, mary at maryhamilton.info, I-N-F-O, like information. Great, Mary. This has really been fun for me. I really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks so much for coming on today to be interviewed at uh, Hear Women Tell. And uh, Thank you for having me. It was great. It was great. And um, we'll be right back with Linda Goodman here at Hear Women Tell uh, for news and reviews. Stay tuned. This is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of RacersReunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravel Resort. The Caravel Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course 
on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club. And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravel's Studio Spa, featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies. The Caravel Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravel.com. 800-507-9145. Tonight, take an adventure on the Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Explore the haunted swamps where alligators and the ghosts from long ago still reside. Stroll across floating walkways beneath the Spanish moss as your pirate guide leads you by lantern and shares 13 spooky tales along the way. The Ghost Walk departs nightly at dusk, only at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Call 843-361-2700 or visit Myrtle MyrtleBeachGhostWalk.com for advanced tickets. The Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Hi, folks. This is private investigator Vicki Childs, host of the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. How safe is your cell phone? Is someone listening to all your calls or reading your text messages? How about your computer? Is someone watching all your keystrokes? Or do you want to know what your child, your employee, or your spouse are doing on a computer or cell phone. If you need computer or cell phone forensics, do what I do. Talk to Steve Abrams at AbramsForensics.com. Steve is a highly respected and skilled forensics expert as well as an attorney. Contact Steve Abrams for a free 15-minute consultation at AbramsForensics.com. That's AbramsForensics.com. Or click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk and use promo code A. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Tell this is Chris Hillenberg, your host, and we're at the special section now uh, that we have with Linda Goodman, who's going to do a review for us. How are you, Linda? I'm good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing very well. I understand that you have a CD that you're going to review today that's very special and close to your heart. Yes. Uh, the CD is called Yankee Doodle Strudel, and all the stories were written and are told by Mimi Rockwell of Bristol, Virginia. Mimi is uh, a very well-known and well-loved storyteller, founder of the Beaver Creek Tellers, former winner of the Organ of the Oracle Award that uh, NSN awards to um, people from that represent different different regions around the country. Mimi represented the Mid Atlantic region the year mm-hmm. that she won. Mm-hmm. So this is a very well-respected woman and very talented too. Because, as you know, rarely does an audio recording produce pleasure that equals the delights of a live performance. Mimi Rockwell's Yankee Doodle Strudel, however, does just that. Mm. Mimi's stories take the listener on a nostalgic journey through a simpler time when family interaction taught life lessons leavened with a huge dose of love. The story's themes... Though set in German-American context are universal, everyone will identify with some aspect of the child portrayed. 
Queen Diva takes the listener on a circular journey that will strike a chord with anyone who has ever been dissatisfied with his or her given name. Amanda, which is my favorite story on the CD, begins with the discovery of a photo in a hymnal and evolves into the most beautiful ghost story that I have ever heard. The images in this story take the listener through a range of emotions, joy, love, grief, and inevitably hope. Uncle Herman begins with a heartbreak of an opportunity forsaken for the sake of family obligations, but then proceeds to embark upon a delightful journey leads to true love. Apple Strudel addresses an awkward moment at a children's birthday party. The movie camera brings the Great Depression to life in a trip to the movies that yields a treasure of family memories and stories for years to come. Grandpa Santa Claus centers around a grandfather who was asked to play Santa at an annual Christmas party. The events that follow leave one wondering at the irony of how a time-honored tradition, so often taken for granted, could go so wrong. Green Thumb, a story of Mimi's mother's love of plants, brings this lovely collection of tales to its end with the perfect combination of wonder and hope. Well written and filled with haunting images and lovely details, these stories do not end when the CD is finished. These stories elicit sweet memories to get life's disappointments and tragedies, if only for a little while. Her stories create pictures and scenes that will infuse the listeners' minds and hearts with peace and beauty. And isn't that what storytelling's all about? Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you'd like your own copy of this CD, by the way, it's available from Mimi Rockwell. Uh, you can... Reach Mimi at Mimi.Rockwell at gmail.com. That's M-I-M-I dot Rockwell, R-O-C-K-W-E-L-L, at gmail.com. Oh, that's great. I remember uh, when we interviewed you as the first interview on Hear Women Tell, uh, you did a review of her husband's CD, right? Right. Rocky, also a well-beloved teller who passed away in May, and we're still grieving his loss. Mm. Yeah, that's a. Uh, she sounds like she's a great storyteller, though. Um, she's she's older, right? She's um, she's. How long has she been storytelling? Do you think? Let's see. Uh, I know that she started after she and Rocky moved to Bristol. I would say about twenty years, maybe. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, mm. thank you, Linda. I really appreciate you giving us the review today. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. And we'll be right back with the news. Stay tuned. This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Donna. Join us Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern right here on HearWomenTalk.com. <laughs> Fridays the day. Here, hey, We're, just hush. I'm doing this. Fridays the day, HearWomenTalk.com is the place for fun and fantasy, entertainment. And it's dirty. 
in information. It's sexy. Right here on Hear Women Talk Radio. It's sassy. We'll be here. <laughs> you should be too. You're going to love it. If your spirit's weary and you need a word of encouragement, join me, Donna Tyson, for Rivers of Faith, Tuesday mornings from 10 to 11 Eastern Standard Time on Zeus Radio Network at hearwomentalk.com. Are you hungry and looking for something delicious and healthy, convenient, quick, and value-packed? Check out our favorite, Jimmy Zabachi. Everything is sizzling and cooked precisely to order, and they use only the freshest ingredients, including sterling silver premium meats. Try their $5 daily lunch chicken plate with fried rice and veggies, or check out their Korean beef lunch plate with sesame and soy and just a slight touch of sweetness. Mmm. For dinner, try their mouth-watering salmon, mahi-mahi, scallops, or tender, juicy filet mignon. You can dine in or take out, and they even have a drive-up window. Jimmy's Hibachi delivers, too. Open seven days a week from 11 a.m. to 10.30 p.m., conveniently located in Myrtle Beach on the corner of Kings Highway and 62nd Avenue North. Call ahead with your order at 839-8008 and download their discount coupon on the hearwomentalk.com website. Scrumptious, fast, healthy, satisfying, and reasonably priced. You'll love Jimmy's Hibachi, 839-8008. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back to Hear Women Tell, and now we have Linda Goodman with our news segment. How are you doing, Linda? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing very well. Hot uh, enough for you down there in Myrtle Beach? It's pretty warm. It's pretty <laughs> warm. It's been a hot summer. You know, I'm looking, yeah, forward, I'm looking forward to the fall. I'm looking forward to the winter. <laughs> uh, what do you have for us today? Well, um, I just became aware yesterday, as a matter of fact, of a new storytelling group in Williamsburg, Virginia. They call themselves the Williamsburg Storytelling Collaborative, or WSC, and they are presenting a series of benefit concerts to build awareness of the art of storytelling and its vital purpose in the community. And the great thing about this series of concerts that this group is doing is that it's a pay what you can venue, hmm. which means you can come and, and, you know, whatever you can afford to pay, you pay. And all donations is what they're calling your payments, donations, will go to a local organization, a local charity. So you'll not only hear some great stories, but you'll be helping a local charity at the same time. All their performances are being held at the Kimball Theater in Merchant Square in Williamsburg, and they just had their very first concert on July 31st, and it was very well attended and got some great reviews. They have some other concerts coming up. The next one is on August the 28th. That's a Saturday at 3 p.m., mm-hmm. again at Kimball Theater in Merchant Square. And this time, the stories are going to be about children, highlighting the joy and the innocence of children. And all the proceeds are going to to benefit Colonial CASA. Uh, CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. CASA is the eyes and ears of the court and the members of the community are the hands and heart. And, of course, together you can do some great work. The next concert after that is going to be on September the 18th at 10.30 a.m., again at Merchant Square in the Kimball Theater, and that is going to be a benefit for the National Storytelling Network. Oh, that's great. 
And then they also have an October concert coming up, 7 p.m. on October 30th for the Red Cross. Oh, so it's a great group doing some great things and getting a lot of good word of mouth. Now, what's the? Uh, is there a storytelling guild in that area, or there is a, a guild called Weavers of the Word? But if you want to contact this group and find out what makes them tick, their website is Stories That Make a Difference, all one word, at Weebly. That's W E E B L Y dot com. Okay. Stories That Make a Difference at we dot Weebly dot com. Oh, that's great. Good. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, and it's close so enough to me. It's about an hour and a half away. I could yeah. actually make a few of these concerts. So that's August the 28th, September the 18th, and then again on October the 30th. That's correct. All of the Kimball Theater and Merchant Square. Now, I know a lot of people uh, like to make trips up to Williamsburg, too, so they could possibly incorporate... Uh, like a, a a trip to you know see Colonial Williamsburg and whatever, and then go see one of these things. And I think the Absolutely. fall would be fall would be a perfect time for that. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Well, thank you, Linda. You're welcome. And uh, we'll talk to you next week about the news. Okay, sounds good. This is Chris Hillenberg with Hair Women Tell, where we interview professional storytellers. And uh, I'd like to thank you for being with us today. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network.